0: Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty.
1: And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. On the show today, we'll be talking about post-emerge grass herbicides in wheat, but we'd be happy to answer your question or talk about anything that's going on in your farm. If you want to give us a call, the number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can email us, radio at agphd.com, or find us on Twitter, AgPHD Media, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. All right, before we get into talking about post-emerge grass herbicides, just a couple of things that I wanted to start the show with. So, Darren, I know we've been talking a lot about picking product up early. What have you been hearing, farmers, in terms of this? I don't think nearly enough product has gone out the door across the United States and Canada for what we have for this issue of COVID-19 going on. I I think I'm just worried things are going to shut down.
0: The thing that I look at, Brian, there's a wide range of reactions on the farm. There are some farmers that are saying, you know what? I want everything right now. I want it on hand, everything I'm going to use the whole year. If this goes on all summer, I want to make sure I've got insecticides, fungicides, everything I might possibly need on hand so I just don't have to go to town at all. And I would say that's probably 10 to 15% of guys. I would say there's a really strong percentage of guys, at least a half, that are trying to get everything for the spring. And I want everything on hand now for the spring, all my pre-emerge herbicides, maybe even my first post-app, those kinds of things. There's a pretty good chunk of guys doing that. And then there's a huge percentage of guys still, Brian, it surprises me, that are saying, you know... I don't really see any big changes in my local community. Everything's still open in town. And, yeah, yep. people are washing their hands more and this kind of thing. But That's probably a good thing. And I just think everything will be just fine. And I think you're fooling yourself if you think, ah, oh, there isn't going to be any change for me. Because the problem is, even if your local supplier's open, what if he can't get stuff? What if they are ordering and places just aren't shipping? I, I've got a person that I know that, that sells cars. And right now he said, I can't get any more cars to sell. Number one, they aren't making them. And number two, the trucking company won't bring the ones that they have made here because they're all worried about this thing, too. And they've shut down. And all of a sudden it's like I've got orders that I've paid for and they're just not bringing them here. And I really don't want that to happen for farmers because that's a total disaster. If there is even a local supplier that all of a sudden one of their employees tests positive and now they shut the whole place down for a couple weeks, and and granted there could be other responses, but if you're a one-store dealership, what else do you do? You shut down for two weeks, you clean things up, and all of a sudden you missed your optimum window for planting or for spraying And that could be a disaster for your crop when we're in a year that every single bushel matters. We can't give up a bushel this year if we want to have any shot of making money.
1: Yeah, we've been talking about this for a month. And at this point, fortunately, I don't know of any retailers for for seed, crop protection, fertilizer, any of that stuff that have had to totally shut down. But there's a chance that it could happen and it could happen to your retailer. So all we're encouraging you to do, it's planting season now. I mean, in 90% of the United States, we've already hit the first crop insurance date for corn planting and the first crop insurance date for soybean planting will be hit by 90% of the country by the end of next week. So the point is it's go time. And we just encourage you get enough product on hand, at least for a month because if your local retailer does have to shut down, I mean, it's sure, it's not gonna be permanent, it's not gonna be long term or anything like that, but it could disrupt your supply because just ask yourself how often have you walked in and said, yep, I gotta have something today or I gotta have it by tomorrow? Don't let yourself get into that position. Our advice is please. Get your stuff now at least for the next month, if not even two. Most retailers are real good to work with in terms of returning stuff, seed and crop protection products especially. So have extra on hand. So you're ready to go and you can operate even if some other things are at least shut down temporarily. Hey,
0: one other thing too, Brian, and and this is one that, all right, picking up seed is one thing and, and having fuel and so forth. Most farms have got tanks to have fuel on hand, but one that I see people being a little short of is bulk liquid fertilizer storage for starter fertilizer, for example. So if you're planning on, all right, this is how I'm going to put my micros out, or this is how I'm going to get my seed off to a good early start, putting a little P and K or something right with the seed or in a two by two. That's great, but you better be stocked up on that too. And I see too many farms brand that have one day or two day supply. That's what they got a tank for, and they're counting on a supplier continuously being able to run uninterrupted, getting things to them in the busiest time of the year, which is a little crazy on a normal year. And you're really banking on that local supplier to come through, which let's be fair. A lot of these ag retailers have people that are working 20 hours a day. Those guys are really pushing. We've got a lot of good people in agriculture, but still. You can't do that now with with this whole COVID-19 thing going on. You got to have enough space where you can go for a week at least or maybe more.
1: Now, as we're saying all this, we aren't trying to be alarmist. We don't need you get to, need to get you all panicked or anything else. Odds are pretty high. We don't have You're, that
0: bunker built underneath <laughs> right, the studio with right. 5 years worth of food and water.
1: Right. Odds are pretty high. You're nervous enough about stuff already. All we're trying to help you do is get prepared. When you actually look at what some of the numbers are coming out, and for one, we believe it's our numbers are grossly misstated on how many people actually got this COVID thing. We'll find out once they've got all that antibody testing. But what they're finding over in Europe is that many, many more times uh, the number of people were actually infected, which tells you that the death rate is actually dramatically lower than what they're saying. Nevertheless, we don't I mean, we just want you to be prepared. So hopefully nothing bad ends up happening in your area and things don't have to shut down. But we do know this. If you can get your product, just stay isolated on your farm and not have to come in contact with anybody, you're in good shape. And in some cases, those are kind of the orders. And now granted, we're in an essential industry. So in agriculture for the most part we're not going to get shut down but nevertheless we just encourage you get your product on hand get it on hand now have it there ready to go have everything set so you can operate just independently of everything else this spring and then you should be in great
0: shape our phone lines will be open throughout the show today at 844-44-AG-PHD we welcome your calls and questions throughout you can also email us radio at agphd.com We'll be right back after this.
1: Hey,
2: Adam. New drone? Not just any drone. I mounted a laser on it to take out weeds.
3: Look out for that tree. In the power line. Oh, it's in for the house.
1: There's a simpler way to protect spring wheat from weeds. Perfect Match Herbicide. The broadest spectrum weed and grass control in one product. Learn more at perfectmatchherbicide.com. Always read and follow label directions.
4: The Laser. When it comes to my weed control, I know a head start can go a long way. That's why I spray early, so I can keep control all season long with the Roundup Ready Extend
3: crop system, the system that makes the difference. This is my field. Choose the Roundup Ready Extend crop system for control of more weeds than any other soybean system. Featuring Extendamax herbicide with vapor grip technology to manage tough to control weeds, including up to 14 days of soil activity, along with the field proven performance of Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. Now you have the right tools to extend your weed control and extend your yield with the system that makes the difference. Learn how you can put the system to work in your field when you visit RoundupReadyExtend.com. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Performance may vary. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Check local regulations for specific requirements in your state. Find
5: your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic pesticides from Atticus, LLC. Atticus offers a vast portfolio of branded generic fungicides, herbicides, and insecticides for row crops. Atticus puts grassroots experience and common sense logic to work to make product selection easier and on your terms. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit atticusllc.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. Our topic is post-emerge grass herbicides for wheat. And that's an interesting topic when you think about how much surface area you've got to land spray droplets on. It really lets you know, I've got to do a good job pre, number one. But post-emerge, i got to be really fussy with my application. We've got Nick Flights with us right now with Pentair to talk about that. Nick, thanks for joining us.
6: Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. Happy to be here.
0: You know, it's easy when you've got something with a big, hairy, broad leaf. Well, you can stick all kinds of spray droplets to that, but how on earth do you get these one-inch and two-inch tall grasses with a thin little leaf that's sticking almost straight up in the air? How do you get spray coverage?
6: It's a challenge for sure. And, you know, there's a couple things I look at um, in post-emerge grass applications to, to really help make sure, you know, we get those droplets on that leaf blade. You know, it can be thin, usually vertical orientation. So, you know, it's always a challenge, but there's a couple things we can do. The first is droplet size. Um, you know, we're, there's a lot of focus on drift reduction and droplet size these days with the ox and herbicides. Um, so we've got to be careful to kind of stay away from that line of thinking here and balance out coverage a little bit more. So an ultra-coarse or an extra-coarse droplet on the coarsest end of the droplet spectrum really is not a good choice for this application really like to be more in the, the coarse, medium and coarse, uh, droplet size range. That's going to give us more droplets to work with um, that we can hit the target. And it's also going to be smaller and weigh less, so we can keep those on that vertical oriented leaf blade. We can also look at um, nozzle design and orientation of the spray pattern. And this is where incline spray patterns can really work wonders. Particularly nozzles with a rear facing incline. And, and there's several out there with a rear facing incline that are going to give you that medium to coarse droplet spectrum. And that rear facing incline kind of helps counteract the movement of the sprayer. The sprayer is moving across the field. It kind of propels the spray pattern forward, angles it forward a little bit. Um, so we're kind of coming at the front of those uh, wheat heads at an angle. But if we put a rear facing incline, something like the Guardian air spray nozzle or the regular Guardian spray nozzle, it kind of counteracts the movement of the sprayer. So those droplets are really falling more straight down into the canopy as you're going across the field so we can get those droplets uniformly um, directed down into the new canopy on, and onto those grass leaf blades.
0: Hey Nick, one thing that always concerns me when I talk to wheat producers is some of these guys farm a lot of acres and I know if you've got thousands of acres of wheat to get over and you've got a real narrow window where you've got to get these herbicides on, a lot of times I just personally feel like they're running too fast and they feel like they're forced to go too fast. Uh, what? How would you comment on that? And I know you've done a lot of work trying to uh, help guys fill their sprayers faster. Is that our best solution?
6: See, it, there is an issue with sprayer speed. And the faster we go, the, the more turbulence um, and kind of wake and shearing effect we're creating there right at, at the spray boom. And as those droplets are coming out of the nozzle, uh, you know, there's a lot of work looking at that. Uh, more intensely right now and the effect it has you know in general what we see is higher speeds can result in a loss in in coverage and the fate of those spray droplets making it down into the canopy some of that has to do with droplet size higher pressures uh, and smaller droplet sizes that can evaporate or drift before reaching the target Um, some of it is just a higher wind shear as those droplets come out Um, so one way to get around that is filling our sprayer faster. And if you look at the amount of time a sprayer is actually spraying, it's really only about 40 to 45% of the time when your sprayer is, is running, the engine is running, Is you're you actually in the field spraying. A lot of that other time is either spent in transportation or in filling and mixing. So if we can take uh, some steps to promote a quicker filling and mixing with a better nurse trailer, transfer pumps, chemical reduction systems like the clean load max and the clean load. Um, that can reduce the amount of time required to, to fill your sprayer and mix that product and we can increase the percentage of time you're actually in the field spraying. And that's going to allow you to um, take a little more caution and care when you're actually in the field spraying because you're not going to be so hard pressed. to to get that application in because you have more time that you're actually able to spray and less time filling
0: talking with nick flights with pentair great tips once again here nick thanks so much look forward to talking to you more as we head into the spray season thank you got jason snell with us right now with syngenta over in minnesota jason how are you doing not too bad how are you guys Pretty good, pretty good. All right, we're talking about wheat and post-emerge grass herbicides. We've obviously got a fairly narrow window here. We want to hit these grasses small. What are some of the tips you'd give growers to get the best results?
7: Yeah, size is always important with weeds and especially with weed, uh, grass weeds in the cereal crop. They can be very uh, yield limiting as well as tougher to control as they get bigger. So we like to see that um, pretty early on and definitely before that five to six leaf stage on most of the grass weeds.
0: Seems like there's so many things that we're trying to get done in the spring and I know we're trying to get corn in, we're trying to get soybeans in, yet we got to jump back on that sprayer when the time arises to to get this done. Are there some things that we should be thinking about as we're switching from one crop to the next and how do we prioritize if you've got multiple crops out there?
7: Yeah, that's a great question. It's hard to answer that for for every operation. Uh, Each one's quite a bit different, uh, but you know, you've, that weed size and getting them early uh, is the most important. So whichever uh, crop you have that's getting the most weed pressure is the ones I would focus on more quickly. Uh, this cereals window with grasses is a pretty tight window, so it's very important to keep that um, very front of mind. But you you know if you have a soybean pre-emerge that you have to get on, that's also very important. And that window is, has a hard stop at the end that most of those soybean pre-emerge chemistries can't go on post. So you want to get that on for sure right away. Uh, a lot of the corn chemistries have a little bit more flexible window um, and then the, the cereals is is also very important to make sure you get, get as early as you can on that wheat
0: yeah, cool cycle. Having good equipment to get this all done with, no question about it, is going to be really important. All right, so the other thing, we think about that, all these jobs we've got to get done, we're seeing so many wheat farmers do multiple things at the same time. So, hey, I'm going to be out there spraying a herbicide. This is also the time I want to spray a fungicide. Oh, yeah, I'm spraying for grass in wheat, but I need to spray for broadleaves too. Talk to us a little bit about antagonism and some of the things we should be on the lookout for.
7: Yeah, it's always good to check for in-pink antagonism with the products themselves as they mix together if you're using a a broadleaf and a grass herbicide together to make sure you have confidence in that. And a jar test is what we we usually recommend using the the, uh, subsequent rates of those products in the jar uh, to mix those together and make sure they stay in solution and and don't need uh, extremely high agitation rates to, to do that because that can be more damaging as well if you have to agitate very, very heavily. And then... As you go on the crop, it's good to check check your, with your local sales representatives or agronomists to see if those different tank mixes, and again, in cereals, there are several different uh, modes of action, sites of action that we don't often overlap with in, in corn and beans uh, that are can behave differently together. So always good to ask your local representation if the tank mix you're trying to use is going to work in the tank and on the crop as well.
0: You know, last year farmers had uh different problems out in the field than we're seeing already this year but one of the things that happened was we had a lot of herbicide application that happened late is there anything going into this year's wheat crop that you would say hey this is a real watch out if you sprayed this product or that product late
7: um you know some some of the PPOs especially flexstar in our book if you sprayed that really late in the, in the, we do have a 10 month rotation on label that can be a little more sensitive. Um, not so much to the cereals crop. They're they're pretty tolerant to it. I think it's a four month rotation uh, to cereals after Flexstar, um, and corn would be ten months. Uh, there are some other uh, products that could have a little bit longer residual. But I think again, the the weed pressure is probably going to be extremely high this year, uh, especially with cover crop situations and maybe some fields that didn't get didn't get the attention that they normally would, whether they were prevented plant or or cover crop to plant a cover crop there's gonna be a a different mix of weeds out there in those acres
0: oh and lots of them you're absolutely right we're talking with Jason Snell with Syngenta Jason thank you so much really appreciate having you on here good luck going into the spring
7: thank you you too
0: talking about post-emerge grass herbicides for wheat and taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD
5: Before it's too late and white mold becomes a problem, you need to ask your seed dealer for Heads Up Seed Treatment. When raising soybeans in the Midwest, you know the risk of being caught unprepared. As heard on Ag PhD, there are several steps you can take prior to planting for a successful management plan against white mold. Compatible and cost-effective, season-long protection starts now by asking your seed dealer to apply Heads Up to your 2020 bean seed order. For more information, visit HeadsUpST.com.
8: How do you know when to run your grain bin fans? There's an app for that. With the Steps GMS app, you can manually turn your fans on and off from your smartphone. You can also configure the Steps GMS app to automatically turn fans on when the humidity or temperature is ideal to keep your grain in top quality condition. Save yourself some time and take the guesswork out of managing your stored grain with the Steps GMS app. Contact us at StepsGMS.com for more information.
7: We planted early February and have all good emergence. So far, we can't find any condition that the wheels haven't worked. I can just
4: say that. Closing the seed trench behind the planter is essential to establishing yields in the fall. Introducing the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop Mfg., Designed and built by a farmer who is tired of seeing poor stands because of uneven emergence, the Germinator is here to give your crop the strong start it needs for maximum yield. For more information, visit us at farmshopmfg.com.
3: You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We're talking about post-emerge grass herbicides and wheat and certainly a lot of different grass weeds that we're trying to fight out there. A lot of different ways to go about this. Happy to have Dr. Christy Sprague with us right now with Michigan State. Christy, thanks for joining us. Thank you. All right. Where do we start here? Are we looking at uh, what are we looking at for problem weeds in Michigan? Let's start there.
9: Well, most of all, um, typically we see annual bluegrass as kind of a problem, especially this time of year as it's starting to come up. And it's one of those ones that we really need to get a handle on before it starts to flower. It gets a lot tougher or more difficult to control at that point. Uh, A couple other grassweed species that we're really seeing uh, pop up is uh, rough stalk bluegrass. And that is one that's really started to show up in our state. Uh, I would say over the last three years and becoming more prevalent. And then we've always kind of had this one called common windgrass, which has been more of an issue kind of in our, what we would consider our thumb region or Saginaw Valley region. But along with those grasses, you know, other people have seen, you know, things like uh, rye grass and maybe some downy brome. But by far the rough stock bluegrass has been, and annual bluegrass have been the two that have really started showing up a lot more.
0: All right. Now you mentioned bluegrass, and I oftentimes think about cool springs and how well the bluegrass in lawns do. Is it kind of the same thing that you see out in wheat fields? That it's an early spring, cool weather kind of grass.
9: Yeah, and we actually see that a lot too with that rough stock bluegrass. And in general, um, you know, annual bluegrass hasn't as big of an issue as far as yield robbing, but it can be uh, quite a carpet. But we're really seeing this rough stock bluegrass being a, a huge issue.
0: All right, so where do you start? Do you like to use pre-emerge herbicides for these weeds? Are you finding some effective products there, or is it up to a post-emerge application to do the job?
9: Um, some of the stuff that we've done is actually some fall post-work. So after the wheat has been planted and it starts to come up, usually when it's got about uh, one to two leaves, we've got some uh, – that's a lot of times when we do see some of the like, rough stock bluegrass or um, – uh, Windgrass that can come up so we've done some fall herbicide applications but in general we've probably had on some of the bluegrass type species the best luck early in the spring.
0: Are there particular herbicides that are standing out for control?
9: Yeah when I kind of look at our um, suite of herbicides that we can tend to use in the kind of what I would call the north central region our winter wheat region or um, we're kind of limited in about three of them. Uh, there's Osprey, PowerFlex, HL, and also Axial Bold. And then there's also been a new release of Osprey Extra, which is uh, a new premix that we haven't looked at too much, but we'll be testing it this year. Excellent.
0: You know, and we when we think about these post-emerge, applications timing is really really critical are there certain times or or sizes that you're seeing better control you mentioned if we can get this annual bluegrass before flowering that was going to be big are you targeting one to two inch tall grass or or where do you see most guys making the applications
9: yeah we really like to go out there when the grasses are about one to two inches tall Um, one of the things that's always kind of tricky this time of year especially where we're at in Michigan, is. Um, trying to time that so we get some warm temperatures we don't usually want to apply our herbicides on wheat when it's uh, too cool especially when we're starting to see you know some temperatures that might sit below freezing so it's kind of that uh, that trick of getting them early but also making sure that they're actively growing.
0: Coming out of 2019 we're expecting to see heavier weed pressure in our area how about in Michigan are you looking for this to be a, a pretty pretty bad year for weeds.
9: Yeah, I think really, um, the mare's tail front this year is going to be huge. Um, not only in, you know, a lot of our annual field crops like soybeans and corn, but I think we could also have it, um, in some of our wheat fields, particularly if, uh, things got planted a little bit later and maybe not as good of a stand. So that's another thing that guys probably want to think about is getting a good jump on some of those weeds like, uh, mare's tail or horseweed.
0: Yeah, a lot going on in the spring, no doubt, and a lot going on out in these wheat fields. We're talking with Dr. Christy Sprague with Michigan State. Christy, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today. Thank you. Let's head up to North Dakota. we get got Dr. Joe Eichley with us with North Dakota State University. Joe, thanks for joining us.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys.
0: All right, we're talking post-emerge grass herbicides and wheat now, and just getting a little bit of a feel from farmers who've been talking to in recent weeks here from North Dakota, northwest Minnesota, a lot of guys talking like, you know, we may put some more wheat in. What are you hearing?
2: Yes, that's, you know, generally what I've heard is, you know, wheat acres may be a little bit up. Um, you know, basically we're shifting, from my understanding, some corn acres into wheat and, of course, dry beans and soybeans again. But with all the corn still out in the field, we're looking at other options for this year to try and avoid getting the, the, I won't say failed harvests, really, really late harvests in 2021.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's been, been interesting, to say the least, with some of the weather situations that we've had this year. Okay, so going into maybe wetter, cooler soils, are there certain weeds that are going to be tougher to fight this year that you'd expect to see more of?
2: Yeah, so you know, up here, we're going to have the suite of weeds that we normally deal with, um, you know, since it's kind of, you know, April already, I, you know, the ones I've got in my mind are the ones that we always tend to fight, so I know kochia is up despite the fact that we have a layer of snow on the ground, and um, due to the amount of seed production we had last year, it's going to be another month yet, but I, I foresee a lot of water waterhemp this year, Um and, of course, our, our typical grasses that we fight every year, I, I don't really see wild oat or the foxtails going away anytime soon either.
0: All right, talk to us about wild oat control, because this is one of the more common questions we get in the area about post-emerge control in wheat. If you put a pre out, say you use some sharpen and you did a decent job holding back kochia, all of a sudden you got a good flush of wild oats coming early. What's your go-to? Are the group ones working? Do you go with group twos? What have you seen work with the best?
2: Yeah, it, it's really a a, a decent mix because uh, we do have several resistance pockets of wild oat. Um, as far as our Group 1 herbicides, you know, historically we've gotten a lot of activity out of both Puma and Axial. And then, you know, our suite of Group 2 herbicides, you know, Everest, Gold Sky, Varum, seen activity out of those, but we also have a lot of resistance starting to pop up um, in those populations as well. So we, we only know of you know, one or two populations that we have cross-resistance to both group one and group two herbicides. Um, but really, when we don't have resistance yet, the products I I listed are really the ones we've had the, the best success with on wild oak.
0: How about on the brome species and downy brome, Japanese brome? Have they been tougher to fight? Have you got some different tools that are working well in North Dakota?
2: Those ones are always really tricky, and, and what we've seen, because that's, that's a big becoming a bigger problem in, I'll say the western two-thirds of the state where we're primarily no-till and really the best thing we can do for the brooms is to control them before we plant so we can we still get a quite a lot of activity out of glyphosate um, prior to planting if we do have brooms um, that get through our, our planting and we have to try and control them post emergence you know where we have the ability we don't have a lot of um, Clearfield Spring Wheat, but we've seen some activity with Beyond. Otherwise, the the best activity that we've seen really comes out of things like uh, Open Sky or Perfect Match. Um, But it's it's kind of, uh, we can't really expect complete control with our post-emergence herbicides, at least what we've seen on the broom species and wheat.
0: Yeah, I agree. It seems like those fall treatments, if we don't get those out there, we're able to get suppression in the spring, at least from what we've seen on our farm as well. It's, it's a lot tougher in the spring. Talking with Joe Eichley up at North Dakota State University. And, and Joe, just one other question for you. When we're looking at, at getting down through that dense canopy in wheat, do you, do you have any tips for guys? Is it just trying to spray earlier? Is that the main thing or are you using more water, more pressure?
2: I'd, I'd say all of the above. I mean, the, the best thing we can do for coverage is to spray earlier. If I were to put a growth stage on optimal, maybe three to five leaf wheat, simply because that's also when the, the weeds are smaller and, and better to control. Um, some of these herbicides we're using being group one and group two, we, we can go with a little bit bigger droplet size since they do move within the plant. Um, you know, so increased carrier volume as well. I know people... You know we don't really like to do that when we don't no, have to, especially
0: but. especially if you're trying to get over thousands of acres in a hurry that can be a real challenge I, I get it but it sure does help with coverage no doubt about it talking with Joe Eichley with North Dakota State thanks for being on Joe really appreciate it stay tuned
3: success isn't just about maintaining your operation how you make out for the season or how much you can get from each acre it's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy. All the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com.
4: What do you think of when you hear Palmer, Amaranth, or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight,
7: gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltema Fungicide, Swift Activity, with fast payback. An expanded application window makes life simple, and it's the secure choice with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltema Fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltema Fungicide is not registered
4: in all states.
8: High-yield corn growers know that feeding the crop and soil are keys to maximizing yield potential. Nutex EDA and Reverb are specifically formulated to help manage limiting factors associated with today's farming conditions. Nutex EDA works within the plant to support nutrient mobility and utilization. Reverb focuses on the soil, providing beneficial trace elements which help condition the root zone for optimal microbial activity. Low use rates and superb tank mix compatibility make Nutex EDA and Reverb no-brainers in the high-yield
5: grower toolbox. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. How about some options? Spray and bedliner, Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky Herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy to handle formulation. <laughs> Goose deck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at OpenSkyHerbicide.com. The Guardian Air Twin Spray Nozzle from Hypro produces a twin
7: spray pattern with air inducted droplets for superior coverage, even in dense canopies. Be effective and efficient with your spray application this season with the Guardian Air Twin. Hypro, helping you
4: spray better. How much yield did you lose the moment you planted your seed? Introducing the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG, designed and built by a farmer tired of seeing yield loss from poor stands. The Germinator gives your crop the strong start it needs for maximum yield. Visit FarmShopMFG.com.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio today. We're talking about post-emerge grass herbicides and wheat. I thought the discussion was pretty interesting so far. You've got to spray early. That's really important. And uh, I know a couple of our guests so far have said well, if you get a pre out there, you you don't have that much pressure coming later, and that would be the best thing, of course, and, and we also had mentioned with winter wheat, you definitely want to make sure you get those fall treatments out. Otherwise, in the spring, it's going to be difficult to get complete control. You're more shooting for suppression, but that still means you need to get out there because suppression is a lot better than letting the weeds go.
1: Okay, so post-emerge grass herbicides, here are the things that I kind of look at. I agree with everything you said there, Darren. I'd love to see the pre's out there. I'd love to see fall treatments. Problem is a tiny percentage of people actually do that. So yes, I wish it was everybody and that'd make our jobs a lot easier. We'd see higher wheat yields. We'd see better weed control. It'd be fantastic. But let's say that you didn't get a pre out. You've already got the wheat in the ground, whether it was winter wheat or spring wheat. And now you've got grasses coming. So usually what we're talking to people about is it's one of two categories. Either you've got the ACC ACE or you've got the ALS. So if you have ACC ACE, or ALS resistant grasses, then obviously you need to use the other one. But for ACE, it's basically Axial. There's also Next Step. That's the old Discover. There is the old Puma out there too. So if you're going to buy Axial Bold, that's a mixture of two different ACEs. That's the old Puma and Axial together. Now you can also switch over to ALS. The most popular ALS grass herbicide would be Everest 3.0 for spring wheat. If you have winter wheat, then the most popular one is PowerFlex, and that can be found in Open Sky, for example, also in Gold Sky. With Gold Sky and Open Sky, well, then you've got different safeners in there, and then you actually could use it for spring wheat as well. The PowerFlex is limited to winter wheat. In terms of foxtails versus wild oats I just say this wild oats is much more damaging to yield so your threshold can be much much lower before you sa- decide hey I got a spray if it's just foxtail it's still terrible but it does take more foxtail plants to harm yield than it does wild oat plants in terms of the brome species Then you're typically talking about the PowerFlex. Also, there is Olympus and there's Outrider. That's the old Maverick. So you've got some choices. We don't talk as much about Olympus or Outrider here on the show just because they have very long residual. There are some other products out there, too, that can be used, but those are the primary ones. Uh, I guess there's one other one that I would mention that I've gotten questions about that's in Husky Complete. There's an ALS Grass Killer. That's called Varro. That's not too bad. I don't have a real big issue with that one, but just anytime you combine a grass killer with a broadleaf killer, understand that usually control is reduced. So if you're going to go out there with a Husky Complete or any type of tank mix, whether it's Gold Sky or whatever, anything where it's grass herbicide together with broadleaf herbicide, don't count on perfect control. Here again, that's why you want to use pre's. Or let's say you have an absolute disaster, just a ridiculous amount of grass out there, go spray a straight grass killer first, then come back a week or two later with the broadleaf killer. You'll just have much better control. And I realize it's another trip over the field. I'm not saying you have to do that in every field, but I am saying if you, if you have bad fields, that's where you'd want to do it. All right, that's about all I got. Darren, anything
0: else? I think you covered it well. Let's dive into the Ag PhD mailbag a question from Dalen in northeast North Dakota he said I'm wondering what would be some options for applying pre-plant and controlling and here you're going to like this list Brian Canada thistle kochia and wild oats in wheat barley and roundup ready canola He said we're also switching from anhydrous or considering switching from anhydrous to urea wondering if you would expect to see any big differences in yield between the two.
1: Okay so wheat barley and roundup ready canola are all very different crops So let's just talk about them real quickly. First of all, with Canada thistle, if I want to get Canada thistle and kochia control in wheat and barley, the product to use is post-emerge wide match. Pre-emerge, what I would suggest is sharpen at two ounces, and that can be used in both wheat and barley. If you want wild oat suppression in wheat, you can use prepare. That would be our best suggestion. Only cost two or three dollars an acre. Super cheap. So, but in terms of the broad leaves, Canada thistle and kochia, sharpen very, very good. Now it's not perfect on Canada thistle, but it is ninety-nine plus percent on kochia if you're going to use two ounces. The downside to sharpen is going to cost you nine to ten bucks an acre. Okay, then we get to roundup ready canola. Trifluralin's about the only pre that you can use. So. I mean, it's uh, it's just, it's tough in, in canola. We just don't have any options for pre's. So trifluralin, I would do that. You'll have good activity on wild oats and kochia. You won't do very much for Canada thistle though. Generally speaking though, I'm not too worried about it. If you've got Roundup ready canola, that's going to wipe out all your Canada thistle post-emerge and finish off all your wild oats post-emerge. So y- you should be in pretty good shape. Okay, then in terms of the question... Oh, and and the the other thing
0: too, Brian, is a lot of things... And this is great that we've got multiple crops here because... That means you've got, if you've got a three crop rotation going on out there, you can target certain things in different crops. So you could say, hey, I've got a great option for the thistles when I can use the Roundup Ready canola because I can use some Roundup out there and get down into that root system. Or maybe the timings of small grains allow you in the middle of the summer to get out there and hit those thistles at a different time of year. Sure. So there, there are things like that you can work on with your rotation. Oh,
1: I should have mentioned too with barley since you can't use prepare if you said boy in the wild oats what am i going to do with the barley don't get too worried about it you could use axial or axial bold post emerge but at least you could get the broadleafs under control pre emerge in your barley okay in terms of the anhydrous and urea thing Look, in our area here, we used to see a lot of anhydrous used. We used anhydrous ourselves for years and years. Loved it. The reason why I loved it is because I could get it out in the fall. We'd put it out right before freeze-up. We'd plant our corn just as the ground thawed in the spring. We had almost zero nitrogen loss because the ground was frozen the entire time. So it worked out perfectly. But we don't really have that now because a lot of the retailers around here have gone away from anhydrous mainly because of cost and insurance and just overall liability. So getting rid of anhydrous, everybody switching to either urea or liquid. I don't have any problem with urea. My only concern is if you spread it out on the surface of the soil and you don't have rain within 48 hours, now you're in trouble. So if you're going to be conventional till, no big deal. Spread your urea, work it in, you're fine. If you're no-till, you better have a stabilizer on there to prevent volatility. Otherwise, I would worry a lot unless there is rain imminent. But otherwise, yeah, pound for pound, I, I, I don't really care. Anhydrous, urea, liquid, um, I, I mean, they're all fine.
0: Thanks for the questions, Dalen. Really appreciate that. I got a question from Cody in Minnesota. He said you're talking about post-emerge grass herbicides and wheat, but I didn't hear you mention volunteer corn. We don't have a lot of wheat in our area, but we do have a little bit and we've got a little volunteer corn we're expecting to see out in one particular field. Is there anything we could spray post-emerge to take it out?
1: Okay. First of all, I, re- I get about one question a year on volunteer corn control in wheat. Wheat is usually chokes out volunteer corn not a big deal especially winter wheat we we hardly ever see any volunteer corn there in terms of products that are labeled next step is that's the old discover also gold sky open sky power flex all the ones that contain the active ingredient found in power flex they are labeled now there are a lot of products that aren't labeled that we mentioned earlier like axial axial bold everest 3.0 varro none of those are labeled They'll all suppress volunteer corn, so if you used any of those, it's going to help. But the, if you want something that's actually labeled, it's next step, or it's anything that contains PowerFlex.
0: All right, thanks for the question, Cody. Uh, I get a question from GF. Are there any negative issues with burning ditches? I'm burning the ditches to get rid of fragmites, which are a perennial grass. Just curious if you see any negatives. <laughs>
1: A couple of things I can think of. First of all, the fire could get away from you, so make sure you're very careful about that. And secondly, erosion. There could be a fair amount of erosion. Now, usually it doesn't happen because the grass comes back pretty quickly, but I'm just saying those are about the only big negatives I oh, and then the other thing would be burning off any fence posts that are wood. So be a little careful with all that.
0: is to Ag PhD Radio. We'll be right back after this.
7: This is a seed bag. This bag is made of craft paper with a cellophane liner and provides nothing for seed growth. This is a seed bed. It was prepared with KSIH soil management tools. It optimizes everything from nutrient access to water infiltration to create the perfect environment for early uniform emergence. Get to know why your seed bed drives productivity at caseih.com slash
3: soil management. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy, all the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com.
5: Your land is a legacy, a
4: challenge from those who tended it before you to build on their foundations. At Corteva AgroScience, we understand what it means to be the stewards of a legacy. We embrace the challenge of building on the foundation of Dow AgroSciences to maintain your trust, to bring new solutions, to help you care for your land. See how we can help build your legacy at rangeandpasture.com. Challenging field conditions often make harvest difficult. Can your corn head handle it? The GTS X10 corn head from Agra US is a rugged, cost-effective alternative to heavier, more traditional heads. Constructed of durable, yet lightweight aluminum, the X10 puts less strain on your combine without losing harvest effectiveness. And it is 40% lighter than traditional heads, reducing field compaction in those less than ideal conditions. For more information, give us a call at 8334-AGRA US.
1: Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. We are right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag. If you'd like to send us a question, it's radio at agphd.com or you can give us a call here at the Morton Studio, 844-44-AG-PHD. So Sam just wrote in and said, uh, Hey Brian, you can also use Stinger post-emergent canola. Yes, Sam, uh, we just had this question come in from Jalen uh, during our last segment and he asked about how do I... What do I use pre-emerge in canola for Canada thistle, wild oats, and kochia? And I just I just said, boy, in canola, trifluralin's about all you can do pre-emerge. But I said, hey, it's a pretty canola, no big deal. You're going to kill all your Canada thistle that way and certainly your wild oats as well. And the trifluralin will take most of the wild oats out and it's going to take 99% of your kochia too. Well, anyway, yes, I neglected to mention stinger that can be used in any canola, not just Roundup Ready canola. So certainly an option and stinger is lights out on Canada thistle if you use the right rate. Just keep in mind with stinger, there are rotational restrictions, so it can't be used in front of every single crop you want to raise the next year. But anyway, good point, Sam.
0: Right, uh, get some feedback from Gary in Montana. We, he had asked a question about killing aphids without hurting the beneficials, and he said thanks for re- replying to my question. He said I contacted our local BASF rep after you had mentioned that we could potentially use Safina, and he said they are looking to get alfalfa grown for seed added to the label, hopefully this summer. He said the product is supposed to be easy on pollinators, which is important to us because, of course, alfalfa seed is an insect pollinated crop. Hey, thanks, Gary. Really appreciate the feedback and glad, glad you found a solution there for your challenge. Got okay, one from Matthew here. He said, I got a quick question to, for you. I've been to your last two workshops that you've hosted with Neil Kinsey. And Brian and Darren had mentioned that if we had questions over soil tests, we could send them their way for review or recommendations. I've got a grid sample set that I'd love them to take a look at. Is that offer still open? If so, where should I send those samples?
1: (laughs) Always. We talk about it all the time here on the show, radio at agphd.com. Just send us your soil tests. We would certainly be happy to take a look at those.
0: All right. And speaking of soil tests, I've got a stack of them here for you, Brian. This happened to come along with that message from Matthew.
1: Oh, so he actually did send it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Did yes. you know that, or did you? Did you go? Oh, was, hey, wait, here's well, all the stuff.
0: I think that Janelle had mysteriously, uh, or maybe Alex, I'm not sure which one, stacked those two up together, and I didn't read the second one in the pile. So, anyway, he said, "Here's the here's the samples. I I ran these. These are in Kansas." And the biggest thing that I'm questioning is the calcium-magnesium imbalance. And with the economic times we're in, just wondering what would be the best ways to manage this to make profit this year?
1: Okay, so first of all, I don't see a whole lot of calcium-magnesium imbalance. He's got a lot of 15-magnesium. His cation exchange capacity is all over the board, 9 up to 20. So he's got, let's call it medium to heavy soil. Anyway, he, he the, the the ratio, everything is fine. The, the biggest issue that you got is low pH. He, he, there are a bunch of spots out here, 5.2, five, 5.3. Five, Apply lime there and everything's going to be perfect in terms of this calcium-magnesium thing. That part doesn't worry me at all. He's a little bit low on potassium in a few spots in the threes, but not terrible. Phosphorus, definitely low. He's down in in the teens or less in a lot of cases. So absolutely needs some phosphorus. Boron is less than one part per million. Need that. Copper's less than two parts per million. Need that. Sulfur really, really low. Need that. A lot of let's call let's see eight to twenty-four parts per pounds. I should say of sulfur out there. So sulfur is absolutely killing you right now. Phosphorus is hurting you right now. Low pH is hurting you right now. Boron copper. Oh, and zinc too. Half a part per million on zinc. So, yep, got a bunch of things that you need, but calcium, magnesium is not your big issue.
0: All right. Thanks, Matthew. Really appreciate the question. This one from Ron, and he said, we're setting up the planter for side dressing here. We've got Coulters on the planter where we can put nitrogen and fertilizer or nitrogen and other fertilizers off to the side. He said, Currently, yep. we're running four gallons of pop up right in the furrow and we're top dressing Ooh, later too much. with both nitrogen and fertilizer. My question is, what would be the safe distance off to the side of that coulter? I've got a neighbor with their rig set seven inches off the row, and I have people telling me two by two would be okay. Others say I should be four inches off the row if I'm using nitrogen. How far off the row should I be?
1: Well, it all depends on how much nitrogen you want to put out there. If you want to put a 1,000 pounds out there, yeah, 7 inches. If you want to put 50 pounds or 100 pounds, uh, well, 50 pounds, 2 by 2 is probably fine. When you start going 100, 200 pounds, you know, just on one side of the row, yeah, I might say 4 inches. So it's really going to vary depending on soil moisture and what soil type you have. So the heavier your soil and the more moisture you have, then the closer you can be with that nitrogen. Just keep in mind with the nitrogen, you get too much in one spot and it is certainly possible that you can start burning roots off. So when you're putting it out at planting time, just keep in mind you are going to have pretty fast root growth and so you're going to have some little roots that are finding that nitrogen. Yeah, if you overdo it, that's that's what you're going to see. So I I, I mean, I don't know how much, did he say how much he was going to put on? All he said is the four gallons of pop-up, right? Right. Yeah. So I don't know how much you're going to put on, but I would just say we've done a whole bunch of stuff at, let's call it 40 gallons to the acre, two by two by two. So that's 20 gallons on each side. I'm not worried about that in medium to heavy soils in almost all cases. Uh, But I would say this four gallons of pop-up, that's most likely too much depending on what you're using. Now, if it's a low salt product, maybe. But even then, I'd like to blend it off with some water because four gallons is a pretty high rate. Usually, I'm gonna say two or three gallons is about as far as I would want to go. And certainly, if it's a high salt product like ten thirty four oh, that's it.
0: All right, thanks for the question. We appreciate that. Get this one from Brandon. Speaking about fertilizer, he said we're farming in northwest Illinois, and we want to get our zinc to phosphorus ratio in our soil at roughly ten to one. Our levels Wait, on our
1: soil phosphorus to zinc ratio at ten to one, rather than zinc to
0: phosphorus. But reading, anyway, go I'm ahead. I'm reading the question how he wrote it. Yeah, but yes, that's what he meant. <laughs> so hope. he said our phosphorus is currently at forty parts per million. Yep. And our zinc is at one part per million. Yep. Our cation exchange capacity is about 13. I'm wondering, would 35% zinc at 10 pounds in our dry mix be too much this spring with a soil warrior with coulters? So banding 10 pounds of a 35% zinc. So you got roughly three pounds of zinc in there.
1: Yeah. I'm not real big on big-time soil build programs in strip-till. Now, I'm fine with soil build programs in strip till to some degree but let's just talk about this Uh, let's take a look at 300 bushel corn for example 300 bushel corn zinc you're going to use three quarters of a pound okay so if you put out 10 pounds 35 percent that means you got three and a half pounds you just uh, do the simple math and you've got enough for five years and that's not figuring grain removal, that's total removal of zinc. So you got five years. Would I do that? No, I would not. I would I would do a little bit, but to do that much, it's pushing it. Now you can certainly try it, but here's what's gonna happen to you. You've got your phosphorus out there in a broadcast, or or I should say your, your soil level is 40 parts per million. You're going to with your soil warrior. Put out phosphorus, probably enough for crop removal this year, I'm guessing. He didn't say anything about that, right, Darren? He didn't say anything about crop removal, what he was going to put on for phosphorus. Nope. Okay, so here's where I'm going. You're going to put out probably crop removal, or at most, you're going to put out total removal, which for corn, crop removal is 105 pounds on 300 bushel corn now, 105 pounds or 153 pounds if you start talking about total removal. So my point is this. You're going to put out one year's worth of phosphorus, and now you're going to put out five years' worth of zinc. So in that little band, you have really overdone it on the zinc, and most likely that's too much. It's, it's beyond what you need to spend, I guess is where I'm going with this. So I don't have a big problem if you want to put out three to five pounds of zinc sulfate in that strip or if you want to put out 10 pounds of zinc sulfate in the strip, that's fine. But you better put two or three years worth of phosphorus in that strip then too. Otherwise, you're going to get the ratio in the strip off. And you can't lower it real fast with the zinc because removal isn't much. I mean, look at what our removal is on phosphorus. 105 pounds grain removal, 153 pounds total removal on 300 bushel corn. So you can take high levels of phosphorus down really fast. You can't do the same thing with zinc. So no, I think that's too much in a strip this year, especially if you do it in the spring.
0: Thanks for the question, Brandon. really appreciate that. Thanks to everyone who sent in questions today. Had a really fun time digging through some of the soil tests and fertility related questions as we get ready to put seed in the ground. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.